0: How many of you are suffering from period pain? I know it can be debilitating. And guess what? I'm giving you my top recommendations to feel better. Let's get into this. All right, everyone. Thank you for joining today's episode of Heal Thyself. We got so many in the books. And I want to thank everyone in full appreciation for showing up. Taking a time out of your day, pressing play, opening your ears, opening your hearts, sharing with people you love. What a show we have today. How many of you drink alcohol? Raise your hand. I know I can't see it, but just raise your hand unless you're driving. And 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 think about how integrated and interweaved alcohol is in the consciousness of society. Now, I've done a few shows on this and you probably heard them, but we have a fantastic expert on alcohol cessation, meaning she's... Bringing to life the ways to ask yourself the proper questions. She's bringing to life the steps to get out of the consciousness of drinking alcohol every weekend to come back to our higher, healthier you which is what we deserve, because alcohol is one of the most destructive things for our physical health, our mental health, and our emotional health. So very important, this episode, she's so passionate and she's so good at what she does. So she's gonna give us all the tips how to get off alcohol. But in today's Knowledge Bomb, guess what I'm gonna talk about, period pain. I get so many DMs saying, hey, Dr. G, my periods are the worst, and I'm so used to being in pain. They're debilitating for some people, they're just bothersome for others, doesn't matter. We're going to go into the top recommendations on what is causing period pain, what foods you need to be eating to reduce them, lifestyle stuff, my favorite supplements, and I'm going to go deep into really what I'm finding is the number one cause for period pain that no one's talking about. All right, what is going on with period pain? We're going to go over a bunch of stuff today, okay? I want to talk about a few things that we need to consider if period pain is on the surface it's been on the surface it's something you're suffering with i talked about cycle syncing on the tiktok myth shows but i'm going to go a little bit more into it about when you're at different stages of your cycle what are some of the foods you need to be eating what are some of the lifestyle things you need to be following i'm going to talk a little bit about birth control how many of you are on birth control we're on birth control i'm going to talk about how it can really affect your periods and period pain i'm going to talk a little bit about the best supplements that you can take for better periods as well as the healing modalities around it and then i'm going to talk about what is the number one thing that no one is talking about no doctor no health coach no one i don't see it anywhere talking about what is causing your period pain that you need to be looking at so women with regular menstrual cycles will bleed every month a total of about 12 to 13 times a year there's pain for one two even three days or more of that menstrual period, that can add up to at least a full month every year of you're just in pain. And that's ridiculous to me because we shouldn't be living in pain. This is often caused by muscle contractions being too strong or too frequent without a relaxation phase between contractions. And what's happening is that's resulting in just a decreased blood flow into the muscles, decreased oxygen, ischemia, spasms, right? And that's causing period pains. Oftentimes this is caused by an imbalance of prostaglandins. They're basically these molecules in the body that are created, usually around inflammation. And oftentimes one prostaglandin in particular called PGE2 and another one actually called PGF-alpha are often behind this just pattern of over, over, decreased oxygen, ischemia, spasm, muscle pain, spasm, spasm. And when progesterone levels fall at the end of the cycle, it's usually when it's initiated. So I'm gonna give you some recommendations for better, less painful periods. This is where you're gonna start. There's something called cycle syncing. Cycle syncing is when you change your lifestyle and habits around your diet or exercise routine to match the phases of your menstrual cycle. And in this practice, you follow four phases: the menstrual, days one to five, follicular, days six to fourteen, ovulatory, 15 to 17, and luteal, 18 to 28. So, for example, depending where you are in your phase, you would generally be speaking following the hormonal rhythms and how they affect your energy. So, for fitness, I want you to think about how consistent you are with your workouts. Now, if you're going high intensity all month, you may want to tone it back. There might be some other things you can do. So When it comes to the different phases of your cycle, you wanna think about how you're treating your body. So when it comes to the menstrual phase, if you're bleeding, you want to make sure you're doing more resting. Resting, this is a time to go within. This is a time to really let the body heal, recover. Or maybe doing things like a light hike or a light jog, especially when you're nearing towards a follicular phase. Now in the ovulatory phase, this is a great way when you're really bursting with that energy to do more physically demanding exercises, those hits, hit workouts, those booty popping classes. Whatever you're doing, think about what phase you're in. Also, the luteal phase, right, as we go back towards the menstrual, that's when you can start doing really the strength training or Pilates. Now, look, if your energy is different and none of this aligns with you, then do what's best for your body. But you got to know what's good for your body. If you're just pushing all month doing the same thing and not listening to your body, that's a problem. What about nutrition during your menstrual phase? Now, different foods can be supportive at different parts of your phase. Now, when you think about it, The theory is that you're getting the food and drink that is supporting the hormones. You know, skincare isn't just about looking good, right? A lot of us wanna look good, but it's not just about looking good. It's about nurturing your skin and being well-balanced from the inside out. And you know, this world is flooded with a bunch of harsh chemicals that are really insulting our skin, our barrier and you want something truly effective that is safe, Alitura is one of the best in the game. If you never heard of Alitura, you just think of, you might've seen some uh, black bottles with gold writing on it. It's one of the best and they're always at health events and people are loving them and their quality. so if you're ready to take control of your skin health and experience the pinnacle of natural beauty, I highly recommend checking out Alitura Naturals. For a limited time, you, the Heal Thyself listener, will enjoy the exclusive discount, just the Heal Thyself discount, only for you. That's 20% off of this gold serum. Go to alitura.com and use the code DRG for 20% off. That's A-L-I-T-U-R-A.com and get that 20% discount. It's amazing stuff. I use it every night before bed, and I'm telling you, I'm on fire with my skin in a good way. Check it out. It's been a long time since I promoted a coffee because there's not that many good coffee brands. We got one of the best ones now on Heal Thyself. Are you ready to elevate your coffee game? And experience approved that's not only delicious, C-O-F-F-E-E.com and use the code DRG for 30% off of your order. Go on Instagram. Uh, there's a fantastic uh, dietitian or nutritionist. Her name is Nicole Bendayan. And it's Nicole.Bendayan. That's her page. And she talks a lot a bit about this stuff. And I was inspired by her stuff because this is not my expertise, but I know about it. When it comes to the menstrual phase, let's think about it. You're bleeding, you're losing a lot of iron. So then you have to think about. How are you going to replenish iron? You want to make sure you're eating iron-rich foods. So whether you eat meat, it can be oysters or you know liver, but also things like spinach and broccoli. Now, a little hack, you want to make sure you're eating your iron around vitamin C-rich foods because the vitamin C is going to help the absorption of the iron. Vitamin C-rich foods being all of the things you think, oranges, lemons, limes, peppers, citrus foods. Now we want to think about also supporting blood flow, reducing any inflammation, getting antioxidants high. This is something like vitamin K rich foods, right? These are all the red fruits, the vegetables, figs, grapes, blueberries, the red peppers, cabbage, radishes. These are going to support the healthy period. And notice all the red foods, the blood, right? It's like nature's talking to you, right? You want to make sure you avoid things like caffeine and alcohol, which can increase inflammation in the body, causing more bleeding, more pain, Now, as we move to the follicular phase, we wanna think about estrogen, estrogen clearance, balancing estrogen in the body. And you need your estrogen to be high enough to trigger ovulation. But if your estrogen is too high and doesn't get eliminated properly, it's gonna negatively affect you, as Nicole says. So you want foods like flax seeds, organic soy that are gonna help balance, break down estrogen. But more importantly are the cruciferous vegetables, the kale, the Brussels sprouts, the broccoli, the cauliflower. The broccoli sprouts, which are one of my favorite ones for making sure that your liver is properly detoxifying that estrogen. In ovulation, you want to make sure you're supporting the liver, the liver, the liver, always, again, the foods that I just mentioned sort of leak into this phase too. You want to make sure you're having a lot of antioxidant-rich foods. That's your fruits, that's your vegetables, making sure you're upping them around ovulation. Now, the luteal phase is when your progesterone is going to be really low. And this is when you're going to start getting symptoms like PMS, PMS PMS-like symptoms, however that manifests for you. Now, really important, you want to make sure you're eating lots of vitamin C. I mentioned the vitamin C-rich foods, but vitamin E-rich foods like sunflower seeds, almonds, hazelnuts, pine nuts, peanuts, avocado, magnesium. A very important one. We know 70% of us are deficient in magnesium, so you might want to even consider taking a supplement around this time. Dark chocolate, avocado, nuts, legumes, tofu, seeds, things like B6 right? Meat, potatoes, starchy veggies, fruits, bananas, dates, grapefruits, jackfruit, right? A lot of protein, a lot of fiber around here. You want to make sure you're getting all of the good amino acids to support your hormones, your blood sugar, and as well as the fiber to support your gut. Now, look, everyone is different with their cycles when it comes to the fitness, what they should be doing as far as exerting their energy, as far as foods, but make sure you find what's right for you. Because more likely than not, the same thing every day of the month won't be. I like the idea of bringing just intentionality around flow. And if it brings people back to their body, I'm all about it. And if you're interested more in this topic, one of my first ever episodes was with Alyssa Love, and she spoke about the four phases of the cycle and how to align your life into it much further. Check it out. Now, did you know that more than half of the prescriptions for the pill, birth control, are for acne, dysmenorrhea, right, the painful periods, and PMS? And in that 50%, 31% are just for menstrual pain. That's huge, right? That's huge. So many women are on the pill just for their period pain. So it would behoove us to start thinking about what we can do for it. Shout out to Jolene Brighton. She's been on the show twice. I want you to check out her first ever episode. She goes and talks about the pill and all of the things that come from it, all of the side effects and how to really structure your life after the pill because there is something called Post birth control syndrome. Now, when it comes to the pill, there is a huge, I've done, I did, I did a show on just the pill and talking about what it does to the body. There's a huge possibility that you can suffer from side effects from acne to losing your period to breast changes, right? Enlargement, swelling, cysts, pain in the abdomen, dizziness, fluid retention, skin issues, infertility the growth of hair and places the hair ain't supposed to be. Lactation, changes in libido, dark spots in the face, dark spots in the skin, menstrual flow changes, mood changes, depression, nausea. There's so much when it comes to taking the pill that you really need to know what you're signing up for before you do. It can cause weight gain, weight loss, vaginitis, candidiasis, yeast infections, right? spotting. These are all things that we need to pay attention to. So Aside from all these adverse effects, did you know that 40% of the women who come off the pill are met with menstrual issues. Let me just say this, the pill is not a solution, especially for your health issues. It's handed out like candy, but it's a Band-Aid. And as Dr. Brighton says, the pill is not gonna fix your period. It's not a long-term solution for hormonal balance, and the body has a rebound. And that's called post-birth control syndrome. We see acne, hormonal irregularities come back, loss of menses, infertility, PCOS, hypothyroid, hair loss, depression, anxiety, gut issues, autoimmune, all of the things that come when you get off your birth control. So we have to think about the pill itself. If you're given the pill because you have painful periods, know it's not long-term, know that you should be very much so aware of what the risks are before you even say yes. And yes should be a last possible resort. And knowing that the pill can deplete you from many essential vitamins and minerals. We know magnesium is low. It's going to deplete magnesium, B vitamins, zinc. Talk to your doctor. Early on, I mentioned prostaglandins being behind the mechanism of what's causing the uterine contractions. We want to make sure that we're taking essential fatty acids in. These are important fats that are going to help balance prostaglandin. So you want to make sure you're staying away from a lot of omega-6 rich foods. There's a ratio. Omega-6 to omega-3 should be about four to one. Today, it's about 16 to one. So naturally, the question is, what foods are high in omega-6? Now, I'm gonna say this. Omega-6 is naturally inherent in many foods, especially healthy foods. But when we have too much omega-6, we're causing more inflammation. So we have to think about oils like sunflower oil, corn oil, soybean oil, grapeseed, cottonseed, peanut oil, canola oil. Omega-6 foods are also in all the processed foods, but also naturally in more healthy foods like peanut butter, almonds, cashews, chickpeas, right? So when we think about high omega-3 oils, flax is by far the highest omega-3 oil. But also omega-3 rich foods that have a high ratio of three to six are things like cod and tuna and salmon and mussels and broccoli and spinach, flax seeds, mango, lettuce, kidney beans. So think about if no one ever brought up to you omega-6 to three ratios, check it out. Do some research on it and see if you're eating a lot of these high omega-6 foods. If you want to get a fish oil, go to Swell Score. We have the best ones. We handpick the best of the best. Go check it out. One of my fellow naturopathic doctors, Robin D. Pascal, talks a little bit about heat and warmth, extremely effective at diminishing menstrual pain. You can use a hot water bottle or rice pillow or hot sea salt poultice over the belly or sacrum, and it's going to bring immediate relief. You can also do a hot bath. Orgasms, fantastic for pelvic pain and congestion. Moxibustion. I believe a Chinese medicine uh, modality. You put in your lower abdomen or lower back, moves chi and blood, clearing congestion. There's something called a Mayan uterine massage. Visceral manipulation can be effective at bringing relief from pain, as well as resolving chronic dysmenorrhea that period pain. You can even do yoga asanas. Apparently there's one called the frog asana that's really helpful for menstrual cramping. Check it all out, especially if you're really suffering. Some of my favorite herbs out there are cordialis, Jamaican dogwood, like doctors call it J-Dog, wild lettuce, pascal flower, yarrow, lady's mantle, and these are all herbs that are antispasmodic So that means it's going to reduce the spasms even before they begin. So if you know you're going to have period pains, you wanna start this about a day or two. Now, mind you, remember, talk to your doctor before you take supplements, this ain't on me. You have to ask first to make sure that it's indicated for you, not contraindicated. Blue cohosh, another one of my favorite. Wild yam, another one of my favorite. And I've seen two of my, I think two of my top favorites are cramp bark and hops. Cramp bark, I used to use in clinic a lot for women who came in with period pain. And that's a good tonic at, at strengthening the uterine tone, but not overstrengthening it. It modulates it, so it's not as spasmodic and less and more relaxed, basically. But it still has the tone that's needed for proper function. We also want to think about hops. It's a great sedative. Uh, it relaxes the uterine lining, right, and antagonizes any contractions that are caused by oxytocin. Drinking more teas, ginger, tumor tea, really important around your periods, especially if you have painful periods. And the last part I'll say, and this is something that I really, really uh, have to say because this is my work. And what I find is pretty much the number one cause for period pain, and it might be controversial, but again, I don't care, is uh, repressed emotions in the womb. I see it and I see it often. And it's actually the number one thing I see in women is the deepest core wounds are in the womb. So naturally what emotions are in the womb. Now, if there's a miscarriage, a rape, a molestation, a surgery, oftentimes that woman will hold a lot of sadness and a lot of anger in the womb. If there's none of those, oftentimes what I see is shame, guilt, and repressed sexuality, especially the feminine part. So I know I talked a lot, a lot about the physical interventions, but you really have to think about, do you have a relationship with your womb? Do you connect to your womb every single day? Or is it just there for the period and having a baby? Because I guarantee the womb is the loudest organ in the body and it is screaming, please connect back to me, have a relationship with me. Because when you do connect with the womb, you connect with those deep emotions that need to move through the body. And more importantly, equally as important, you connect with the femininity. What part of you is out of balance? If you're a woman who's in hyper-masculine, going, going, doing, doing, always doing, and then you come home and you got kids and then you're doing more and you're in balance in the receiving, in the flow, in the surrender, then it's gonna be reflected in your womb. I see it every day. I see it pretty much every single day, pretty much every single session. I see a lot of women. I know what I'm talking about. So think about that. There is a most comprehensive ever information guide you will ever get for period pain. I really hope you enjoyed it. Let's get to this fantastic alcohol, getting off alcohol, all things, healing yourself from alcohol addiction, conversation with Carolina. All right, everyone, you know I've been talking about alcohol so much on this show for a very specific reason. It's one of the most preventable Interventions we can make for our health. Alcohol causes so many physical, mental, even emotional disruptions. So, removing it from our lives is of superior importance. And guess what? I got an alcohol free life coach on the show. The author of Euphoric Ditch Alcohol, Carolina R., is on the show. My Polish friend, who I can't pronounce the last name, but I tried, I tried, I tried off air. But thank you for coming on the show.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here.
0: Yes, listen, when when I got the email that was saying, okay, listen, let's get her on the show. She talks about alcohol, Is up your alley. I didn't even need to go through halfway, and I'm like, yes, because this is essential. But when I've done my alcohol shows, as we were talking off air, is there was a lot of people going, okay, but like, what are the... The nuances of it. How do I go day to day? How do I go socially? How do I talk to my family about this? We're going to cover this all on this episode. I'm so excited to have you here. Thank you for coming. Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay. (laughs) So right off the bat, I want to ask you, can removing alcohol out of your life completely transform your physical, mental, and emotional health?
1: Yeah, that's exactly how I outline my book. There's the body, mind and soul aspects that really gives readers all of the juicy reasons of what will happen when they ditch alcohol. Oftentimes we think of it as just this food group. You know, if I just ditched sugar or ate less carbs or something, maybe my waistline would go down. But I've never seen such a substance when removed from someone's life to change the emotional health of someone, to change their spiritual health, and to also really give them that curiosity of, okay, well, now what is real fun for me? What is uh, joy for me? Instead of relying on a drink to elicit those feelings, having that curiosity to really discover what makes them happy, and then having the audacity to go after those things. I've mm-hmm. seen people completely change their careers, go after dreams, write books they've always wanted to write, all from that little change of just stitching alcohol.
0: Mm, from the little change. Little change, right. <laughs> which, could be, which could be a big deal because we were talking about how much of our world social, socialization is structured around alcohol, How much, and I know you work with a lot of clients, how how much trouble are we starting to have and going, oh my God, it's everywhere.
1: It is everywhere. And let's think about a little bit about how we're socialized into it, you know, especially in the Western world. We're not in Saudi Arabia or anything where it's illegal. It's a rite of passage. You know, you turn 16, 18, 21, whatever it is, and it's like presented to you as this is how you become an adult. This is how you become sophisticated or rebellious or independent. It has all this meaning associated with it. And so we get initiated into this thing. I did it in college, right? That's where I first started drinking. And basically, if you think about just the scope of someone's life, you drink for the rest of your life, every social occasion, even at home, unless you're pregnant or something, like you don't even have an excuse to not really drink. People will egg you on and just be like, oh, come on, just have one. It is ingrained into every single social event we have. I mean, even baby showers these days are always with alcohol. And really, I think that there's this idea that's coming around lately of just like the permission to stand up to that, the permission to say, hey, wait a minute, is this conditioning all around alcohol really serving me? and is all the beliefs that we need it to have fun, we need it to relax, we need it to bond. Who made those up? The alcohol industry, right? I don't know, but are those really our beliefs that we want to have?
0: Yeah, I, I actually believe it is the alcohol industry. <laughs> they totally designed what it was to be sophisticated, be fun, be social. And that's actually how it happened for me. I go, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm in this matrix of drinking alcohol, and it's like something that is done every weekend, or it's like, I'm out to eat, sure, I'll order a drink. And I started listening to my body. My God, how detached would we become from our bodies, knowing that our body's going, what the hell are you doing? Even when we're young and resilient and we can drink and be fine and go to class the next morning, our bodies are still suffering. How do we start identifying or even just taking a step back from the matrix?
1: Absolutely. So I really do believe it's the most intuitive people who start to reevaluate the role of alcohol in their lives. Because like I said, alcohol is just kind of pushed on us, you know, from a very young age. And we just kind of swallow it, you know, and without asking any questions and just it becomes a habit really easily. Most people don't just drink five times in their life. It's hundreds, thousands, thousands of times. We're repeating this habit. We're creating these habit loops. And then again, like I said, it's expected. You you know, you need actually a valid excuse these days to not drink. And so I really do think that it's the most intuitive people. And we have the paradigm from long ago where, okay, there's the normal drinker, the problem drinker, and only if you're the problem drinker would you reevaluate this. And I think that's often scared people from being like, oh, I don't want to have to have a problem, right? So they don't even want to go into the line of questioning, which I think is just such a detriment. Alcohol, as we know, is a toxin. Alcohol is not good for us in any amounts. And so it really is the most intuitive people who start asking themselves is this serving me? And I like to say I don't care if you drink 10 drinks in just one day or one drink a week. If it's not aligned to your values, if it's not making you ultimately happy, and if it's not allowing you to achieve your bigger dreams, it's worth questioning. Mm-hmm. Not to say everybody has to stop drinking around the planet, but it's it's almost like taking a break and reevaluating it is like a gift. I think everyone gets to, should get to experience.
0: Yeah, so how do you feel then about this reevaluation month that we have now, this dry January, that's really been arising likely because people are asking more questions and going, why am I drinking alcohol? Actually, maybe I wanna do a mocktail this time. How, how are you feeling about this new tidal wave that's been showing? You know, when it comes to overall health, the little daily habits can make a huge difference. Take flossing, for example. Seems like such a minor thing, right? But taking good care of your teeth and gums does way more than just prevent cavities and bad breath. Emerging research shows that it can actually support whole body health and may even prevent cognitive decline as you age. That's wild, right? That's why I'm really excited to tell you about this awesome company called Slate and their game-changing three-in-one electric flosser. It's the only product out there that flosses your teeth, massages your gums, and even scrapes your tongue to remove bacteria to promote fresher breath. I've been using the Slate Flosser for about a month now, and I'm hooked. Unlike regular floss picks that you have to jam into your mouth, this electric flosser does all the work for you with 12,000 sonic vibrations per minute, really cleaning out them gums. The innovative gum sweeps give your gums a gentle massage to increase circulation too. And let's not forget the built-in tongue scraper to help zap bad breath at the source. So to start one of the easiest and healthiest daily habits with the Slate Electric Flosser, Go to slateflosser.com and use the code DRG to get 10% off of your very own flosser. That's 10% off of your easy-to-use slate electric flosser at slateflosser.com slash DRG, S-L-A-T-E-F-L-O-S-S-E-R.com, and the code is DRG. You know, living a long life is great. It is. We all want to live longer. But what's even better is living those years in good health, right? Free of the chronic diseases and the ailments. Unfortunately for many, the gap between lifespan and health span is way too wide. And we spent our last years ill, not enjoying our life to the fullest. And that's why I'm always into research
1: Well, I love it because that's why I'm here. Uh, I I was, you know, I drank a lot in college, had no healthy boundaries back then. But as I grew older, I started to uh, really get into health and mindfulness. So in my mid to late 20s, I would have the healthiest week, Monday through Thursday, yoga class, drink my green juice, meditate, and then every weekend I would drink. And I woke up on Monday mornings feeling like a shell of myself. I felt so groggy, exhausted, but also just emotionally really low. And I was like, wait a minute, something's wrong, right? Something's wrong with me, I thought too, right? That I just couldn't handle alcohol. And I wanted to take a break, but I would look to the weekend. Oh, there's that happy hour. There's that wedding. You know, I just never could. And it actually wasn't until I heard of Dry January back in 2018 that I was like a light bulb moment. Oh, I can take a break from alcohol. I don't have to go around telling everyone that I have a problem. I don't have to go to AA or claim to be an alcoholic. I can just take a break. So for me, Dry January gave me this permission that I hadn't yet granted myself to just be able to do it. So I think in a way, it's so great to get people experimenting and reevaluating. Because if most of us start drinking at 18 and then never stop until we're like much older, we don't even get the chance to compare you know, apples to oranges. So when I took a break from alcohol, I fell in love with how I felt. I fell in love with the deep sleep. I fell in love with how much more energetic I felt every day. I fell in love with how proud of myself I was. I wasn't breaking promises to myself. I wasn't being disingenuous to my intentions. I wasn't acting out of character. I wasn't having one more drink when I said no. Like every day I woke up feeling like the past version of me was actually looking out for me and caring for me instead of setting me up to feel literally miserable, which I claim, Everybody feels shitty after drinking alcohol or just not being honest about it, you know? And so I think that 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 ability to experiment with that and then really be able to, like, have that visceral, like, what does my life feel like with alcohol versus without? You know, when you take a break, you can always decide to go back. No one's, like, forcing you to never drink again. But to know how good we can feel how good we can feel energetically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, you know, and then start to honestly go on a self-discovery journey of like, why did I pick up drinking? Why did this become a constant in my life? What does it mean to me? How do I navigate growing past this and elevating my life? I think it's just such an incredible journey. Mm -hmm. So really seeing it as an experiment, I think, is key and seeing it as a growth opportunity. You know, a lot of the objections that maybe we'll go over that you asked about earlier, there's such incredible opportunities for growth to really find yourself, have form boundaries, stop people pleasing, and really be okay with doing what feels best for you, not what anyone else expects of you.
0: Mm-hmm. And when we are in unconscious mode and just going on autopilot, we never create the space to, like you said, like know how we feel. How do you even feel? What does it even feel like to have no alcohol for a month? And hearing that so natural, the healing that came just from stopping drinking for a month is extraordinary because a lot of people will never tap into that because we're in a constant state of, oh, well, I didn't drink last week, but I'm going to drink this week, right? Two weeks ain't enough for your body to go, oh, my God, <laughs> thank you for giving me a break, finally. You said the physical, you said the mentally emotional, but... You also mentioned earlier on this space for career, this space for sense of purpose. Does it provide clarity, too, when you stop drinking?
1: You know, I didn't realize this, and it was only really in hindsight that I saw but I told you this pattern I had Monday through Thursday, and then every weekend I would drink. And the way I was living was like, I can't wait for the weekend, TGIF. The week was just something I wanted to speed by, and then, you know, a brewery festival or a winery, you know, tasting, like, those were my ideas of fun. And every single week, I just couldn't wait for that weekend. In hindsight, I didn't realize how unfulfilled I was with my week, how bored I was with my career, and stressed out, and using that as an excuse really to reward myself with alcohol for the hard work that I'd done that didn't really feel that rewarding, right? And so here I am going alcohol free, and I'm really recognizing about these things about myself that you know I'm getting so much more confidence, like. This was my Achilles here for so long, so long, you know, even though year after year, I tried to drink less. There were so many times I broke those promises, like trying to moderate was just such a gamble, so much mental gymnastics. And so to finally be doing something that really serves my higher self, it just unlocked something in me. Like, well, what if I could do the other thing I never thought I could do? What if I could be an entrepreneur? Like, for example. I'm foreign. I grew up really shy. Another reason why I gravitated to alcohol. To me, an entrepreneur was a white guy who lived in the Silicon Valley and had just a tech genius and all these venture capital friends. That was my mind, what an entrepreneur was. And everything about me didn't scream entrepreneur. So right. I just kind of hid back on that dream and didn't go after it. And so all of the clarity I got, all of the like self-discovery work, I think your intuition's already telling you to take a break, to, to get some space away from alcohol, and you listen to it finally, right? Because it's probably been telling you for a while. And now that you've listened to it in the first place, your intuition's like, oh, we're friends now, you're gonna listen to me, and it's gonna be giving you more and more messages. Mm-hmm. I really believe that. Your creativity goes up. And then I think when you combine just all of these incredible things that you get, it's like an alchemy, this energy, this courage it takes to go alcohol-free, too. It takes courage to order a mocktail. It takes courage to take your friends. The courage, the confidence, the energy, the intuition, the clarity, I really recognized I wasn't fulfilled in my career. Mm. But that wasn't as scary to see. It was actually really hopeful to see, oh, but I can choose to do something different. And i started taking every baby step after baby step to build a business to write a book to eventually leave my day job and build a thriving career outside of that and i will tell you for almost i don't know 90 percent of the people i work with it's work it's their work that stresses them out so much to want to have the drink as a reward as a as a treat at the end of the day and we're not even asking ourselves like is this giving me fulfillment is this helping me feel like I'm helping other people or making an impact? Does it tap into my natural gifts? Do I have autonomy? Do I have the freedom or whatever it is that's our value system that we really want out of our life. Everyone has different ones, obviously, to to really map that out. And, you know, it might seem kind of like a pipe dream to just say, oh, ditch alcohol, all of your career business goals will come true. But I have like story after story after story of clients and just other people I've heard from anecdotally of like, that's the thing. Mm. That's the thing that gets them to, you know, quit their job. That's the thing that gets them to move to France where they always wanted to live, to buy a second home in a place they've always wanted to live, to uh, launch the business, you know, grow a nonprofit. Like, whatever it is that is their dreams, it's like you finally have also permission to go after those. Mm
0: -hmm. Of course, right? Because the space is there and we're finally like, okay, I'm not in something that is literally sucking the soul out of me. And I actually fully agree with the work and the unhappiness that we feel in our workplace being one of the major drivers for alcohol. Because I know a lot of friends of mine who make a lot of money but hate their jobs. Right, and and of course it's not worth it, but they love parting on the weekends, right? Mm-hmm. As a sense of I accomplished this, I got another, I got through another five days of this job that I hate. But imagine doing something that makes you good money, but you hate, not consistent with your gifts, and even worse, not serving humanity. Right, I, there is a level of happiness and joy that br- it brings every single person when you're in service, right, to a bigger picture than you. Absolutely. So if alcohol is the thing that is blocking you from this really fulfilled life purpose to be in service, to make the world a better place, then maybe we lean into, how can I just maybe reduce the drinks? How can I maybe not have it this weekend? maybe not next weekend, and begin to see how that healing begins, which is a really inspiring story with you. I mean, like, how many people go to college, drink, come out of college drinking, and then try to get off of it, and then it's like, ah, I'm not going to, maybe another drink. Come on, just another. Sure, okay, I fell for it many times too, right? Because the acceptance, the people-pleasing, but now it's like the autonomy, the boundaries, and the bigger purpose. Now, when it comes to people who will go, okay, I want to stop drinking, This is what I went through in the beginning. Are you sick? What's going on with you? Oh, you think you're better than us, right? Oh, is your stomach, you have gut issues or something? It is crazy the amount I had to explain as to why I don't want to drink. I had to actually explain it. It was never like, I'm not going to drink. It was never okay, cool. Do you find that in your clients? That is one of the biggest hurdles to stop drinking.
1: Absolutely. And I can say for me, even though mentally I wanted to take a break, I wanted space from alcohol for so long, every Monday morning, basically, that was my biggest objection to well, how do I explain it? Like, I didn't even think you were allowed, really, you know, like you just had to drink. That was just part of being an adult. It was the code of adulthood. And honestly, this is going to bring up a lot of different internal stories that we have, a lot of different, you know, maybe maladaptive patterns that we've picked up, like the stories that we think all, you know, all adults must drink or, you know, to be sophisticated or glamorous or like have status in our society even. We've attached status to alcohol too, right? It's going to bring up a lot for healing. And so I think, first of all, It's kind of like peeling back behind the layers. You know, I said earlier, nobody wakes up feeling like a million bucks after drinking. Nobody. Like, right? So I think a lot of times we internalize it as like, oh, it's just me. It's just my body that's not reacting well. Everyone, I guess, is just fine. You know, everyone's doing their merry life, but I'm the one who's feeling crappy the next day. No, it's everyone who's drinking, right? And they have studies about that that show that upwards of 55% of all drinkers wish that they drank less or not at all. And that's the ones who actually admitted it on a survey, Right wishing they actually drank less or not at all. And so when you flip the switch like that and you go to a social event that everyone's drinking, you're going to feel like left out or the odd one out or you're not sure how to explain yourself, you need to imagine half of the people here at least wish that they weren't drinking like me. And so instead of, you know, thinking of yourself again as the odd one out or the person has to explain themselves, why not be the role model Why not be the leader? Why not be the inspirer? Why not go into that event knowing that you might cause a ripple effect in someone else? Someone else could be curious about it. You know, maybe even asking those questions, even if they seem like, ah, I'm like left field, you're not sure how to answer them. Like maybe that person's trying to put a mental model of their own life into your shoes to be like, whoa, wait, wait well, if he's he's not drinking, you know, maybe I should reconsider this, you know, and they're just asking a bunch of questions. Obviously, people could be rude, too. They could try to cajole you into drinking or just, you know, say, like, rude comments about it. Big red flag. Big red flag, it means that they have their own insecurities about alcohol, and to shake up that the code really that everyone bought into that we all must drink and have someone not buy into that code, it really distorts their kind of idea of stability in that. And so they want to bring you back down. There's like this analogy of a bucket of crabs. Get a bucket of crabs. You're about to cook them for dinner, and one crab is going to start to crawl out of that bucket, and the other crabs will pull him back down. You know, like if we can't have freedom, you can't either. Mm. And so, oftentimes, those are the kind of dynamics that come out here. If you think about it, if you know of someone who's really healthy, he they eat well, they you know work out, they're treating their body right. I mean, doesn't everybody wish that they had that? Right. And isn't the person who's not drinking really showing up as an emblem of true health? Like deep, deep down, there's a part of most people who wish that they didn't not sleep well because they drank that night or that they didn't have to wake up groggy or whatever it was. And so I think when you have that kind of secret back pocket, you know, info in your in your pocket, you can just go to a situation recognizing that, like, people actually wish they were you. You know, and that can often lead you with more confidence with what you say. Like, it doesn't have to be a big thing. You know what I mean? You can just say, like, thanks, I'm great. Or, like, I'm taking a break and I feel amazing. The thing is, like, people can't argue with you when you lead with how good you're feeling. They can't be like, oh, no, have a drink and stop, stop feeling amazing. Like, it doesn't work that way. Um, and, you know, the closer you are with people, obviously, you can just share it, too. Like, you know, alcohol doesn't make me feel that great. I want to really focus on my health and my business this season Mm -hmm. in my life. It could really inspire your friends. I remember when I first told my friends about it, too, it was like the elephant in the room that no one ever talked about that finally we all acknowledged. I'm not the only one who was hungover after drinking. Like, they were like, me, too. You know, I wish I could drink less as well. It really kind of brought us closer together to be vulnerable like that. So I think in that way, We can, you know, uh, really recognize the different responses, kind of like a psychologist, instead of making it mean something about you, kind of analyze, well, what does that say about the other person, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. You know, and then when it comes to socializing, too, like there's another element of just feeling comfortable to socialize without alcohol, which is kind of another thing. Uh, But uh, personally, shy, I grew up introverted. Alcohol was a magical elixir for me, you know, especially going to college. I felt like it turned me into a different person, let me live out this different identity. And I used it as a crutch for almost a decade of, like, I have to have a drink when I go socialize. I can't even talk to people, you know. I had this strong belief that alcohol made me more confident. Mm-hmm. But it really didn't. I mean, there were the times I embarrassed myself, yeah. actually, right? And just every single time you tell your psyche, hey you're not interesting. Nobody wants to talk to you. You have nothing good to say. But here, have this drink and then you'll be better. Mm -hmm. How much that was actually deteriorating my self-esteem over time. So when I removed the alcohol, yes, I had to work on practicing, socializing, kind of like a muscle that I hadn't worked out really before, um, getting a little bit more confident in my skin. But I found that confidence within instead of relying on a drink outside of me to build that up. So I would say those are the two biggest objections, is what do I say? How do I, like, navigate people? But also, like, how do I just navigate social nerves or anxiety without Mm. a drink? Because so many people are using that, too. And
0: and alcohol cessation is such a powerful way to redefine yourself. Uh, So much of us, our comfort socially, and in groups, especially with that anxiety, am I going to say the right thing, or can I do this, or no, I'm not that person, right? But I really wish I could dance, right? Alcohol is that magic elixir. And I think a lot of us are addicted to the people that we become on alcohol, for better or for worse, uh, because so many of us are so untapped into our potentiality of human beings that we are already without it. So alcohol sort of brings that egoic protector down so you can actually go up to that handsome or pretty girl at the corner of the bar, dance with this person, or, or speak your mind. And you're like, wow, I'm so strong and outspoken on alcohol. But the illusion is like, that is also you without alcohol. And it's learning how to tap into that is the most powerful thing, because yeah. you don't need an exogenous agent to bring you there.
1: And it feels so real when you're doing it naturally. Like, that's also artificial. It doesn't ever bring you up in that confidence yeah. level or make you feel like you're a better smooth talker or whatever. When you do it, you might have the nerves. You might feel, you know, scared about it, but you will feel, like, on top of the world mm. when you conquer something like that on your own. You do things that scare you on your own. Like, that's true mental, emotional progress. Yeah, yeah. Not the stunting with alcohol and always using it as a crutch.
0: So when you work with your clients and then they're, they're stopping the alcohol, what are some of the first things that they report back to you?
1: Sure. Um, so it kind of goes two ways. Uh, alcohol really diminishes the quality of our sleep. Um, uh, I think it's just one glass of, our, of wine can reduce our sleep cycles from five to six REM sleep cycles a night to down to just one or two. So I remember I used to be obsessed with sleep when I was still drinking. I needed a clock in my eight hours, have like a mask, have a fan. And yet, even though I was getting the eight hours, like I was waking up at all times of the night, just getting really poor quality sleep, especially towards the morning. So uh, f- some for some people initially, they find that the sleep rebalances very quickly and they're able to get such deeper sleep. Instead of alcohol just sedating them into slow-wave sleep, they're really able to get the proper cycles in. Uh, for some other people, it takes a little bit of a while because alcohol also releases stress hormones in our body to counteract the depressant nature. Sometimes our body still on that cycle and cycling through those kind of stress hormones and just our circadian rhythms kind of off. So it can take a few weeks for some other people to rebalance their sleep cycles. So for other people, removing alcohol can cause a little bit of more insomnia just at the very beginning. So all I just say for that is have some patience, practice really good sleep hygiene, and I promise it won't last. You are going to fall into the deepest sleep of your life pretty soon. So that's really amazing. And I think it's the I think it's like the pride that you feel. Like every day you wake up and you're like, oh, my gosh. You know, like I didn't drink last night. It's especially like the first social event you go to. You're like, oh, my gosh, I didn't drink last night. I did it. Like I did it. Like I didn't think I could do it, but I did it. And I think those small wins just add up and stack up. I remember for me, it was like, I just haven't drank in three weeks. Like, who does that? 50 days, 100 days. Like, who is this woman? I don't mm. recognize her anymore. Mm. So it starts to change your sense of identity as well, you know? It's so insane. I know we're going kind of in so many different topics, but like, what is our identity? You know, is it the, f- the version of us we... we chose when we were 18 years old? And when does it get to change? You know, and I think that when you take a break from alcohol, you're really challenging what you thought you're capable of. You know, some fun example i like to share is like a lot of people say, oh, I'm not a morning person. Well, when did you decide that? When you're a teenager and you needed a lot of sleep because you were growing, you know, well, did you decide that when you were a drinker? Well, nobody feels really good in the morning after drinking alcohol. So it's like every get, everything gets to be revaluated. You know, every limiting belief or story that we were telling ourselves, it's like, but what if what if this was possible or what if that isn't the case? You know what I mean? So it's also this like the pride feeds into this curiosity and inquisitiveness of just really living a completely different life.
0: Yeah, yeah, which is uh, such a beautiful space to open in itself, right? Because that's how what I'm seeing is there is the small building up of physical and mental and emotional. And then there's this clarity of like, whoa, I, what am I doing in this job? Here's my purpose. There's so much more I can do. I'm sleeping better. My gut is better. My skin looks better. I feel good. Right. It's, it's sort of like a snowballing effect as we go through this whole process. What are some of the first things that people report physically?
1: Physically. Yeah. So definitely the energy and restfulness, being able to do the healthy habits or lifestyle that they want to do. You know, so many times we, get into a habit or pattern of of trying to eat better or work out more. And then alcohol is the thing that always disrupts it, right? Like, oh, I'm not going to go to hot yoga. Or we punish ourselves the next day with exercise. There's studies that prove that for some people, not all, the more you exercise, the more you drink, right? So it's kind of this like punishing cycle that people do. Um, But I think that the physical is that energy and uh, really just feeling the positive surge of emotions that can come as well. Um, Alcohol, again, ups our stress hormones, lowers our dopamine receptivity, our serotonin levels, our GABA levels. And we were talking earlier about like, what is our natural state? Like, what does it just feel to be me? Like if we have alcohol in our lives, even just once a week, we won't ever know. That's always messing with our neurochemistry. So that positive surge of feelings I think is really great. Um, you know, the, the, the skin, like you mentioned, like I'll have my clients take a selfie on day zero and on day 30 and they can't recognize themselves. Like the sallowness goes away. The wrinkles go away. Like they're just bright eyed, innocent and so happy from within, you know, instead of just like this, like glazed over look that they have. And I just want to iterate too. Like I work with a lot of people who aren't, what you would call the problem drinkers of society. So this isn't just like removing alcohol if you're drinking like boatloads of it. Like I'm talking about what we consider normal levels, right? And all of these effects really happen quickly. If anyone's into tracking their, um, you know, just different levels of, of body, of Tests and such like that, like if you have the aura ring, right, oh, yeah. you can test and see what, like, your heart rate goes down at night, you're sleeping better at night. All of those things are, can be measured. Your blood pressure can go down within just two weeks off alcohol. Your blood cholesterol can go down. They've studied it five weeks without alcohol. The average participant's blood cholesterol will go down by 20 points. Mine went down by 50 points. Wow. 50 points. Now, how many Americans are on statins? How many Americans have high blood pressure, high cholesterol? We're not even being told that taking alcohol out of the picture or taking a break could possibly lower that number for so many people. Um, cancer markers can go down in the body. Liver fat can heal. The gray matter in the brain starts regrowing. It really is amazing what's happening on the inside. And I think that, like, you feel that rejuvenation, and you just feel that sense of possibility for all areas mm. of your life spilling over.
0: Mm-hmm. Which is, I mean, that's like a new body in itself. <laughs> Isn't it? <laughs> right? New face, bright eyed, new, new gut, new skin. It's like your body's like, thank you for stopping my God. I've been trying to heal you for so long anyway. And just like this pause changes everything, which becomes inevitably a stop once you feel, start feeling really good. What about around anxiety and depression? Have any of your clients
1: reported anything with that? Absolutely. So... I don't even think we realize how tied alcohol is to anxiety. It's tied on a molecular level. And because it is a depressant, our body is releasing stimulants in response to it. So our cortisol levels go up, adrenaline levels go up. This is even after just one drink. A few hours later, you can measure these things. And dynorphin. Dynorphin, I like to say, is like the opposite of endorphins. And so it makes us feel really low and sad. And they've studied people who commit suicide have very high levels of dynorphin. And when I was waking up every Monday, feeling like something was inherently wrong with me, I was internalizing it as me, and yet it wasn't. It was this chemical cocktail that alcohol created in my brain. It wasn't really me, right? It wasn't really my state. Mm -hmm. And so I think that anyone who's suffering from anxiety or depression really should give this a shot. Now, I'm not saying it's gonna be the magic cure-all. It depends on the person, obviously. But if we're not looking at that first, You know, like we're really not giving ourselves a really good shot for healing because truly it is doing such a number on our different neurochemicals. Uh, which obviously can lead to depression or to anxiety. So one of the number one things I do hear from clients is how much less stress they feel. Mm. That the things like, it's not like all of a sudden you're a Zen monk and nothing ever stresses you out anymore, but the things that used to feel like mountains start becoming molehills and you become more emotionally resilient. And that's another thing too, is whether you, you, you say that you struggle with anxiety or not, what you're doing is that every day you're not drinking, You're processing your emotions. You're allowing yourself to actually feel them. And your emotions are incredible teachers. They're trying to tell you what's in alignment in your life, what's not, what needs to change. And every day, you know, you could just numb them and numb them and numb them and never listen to their signals. It's kind of like a hamster in a hamster wheel. Just have a stressful day at work, keep running, drink, you know, over and over and over, you'll never know. Or you can allow yourself to feel your emotions, process what they're trying to tell you, release them in healthy ways and learn from them and then make the small shifts in your life of where they're directing you to do. Mm. Okay, I feel take advantage of uh, work. My boss keeps giving me more work. I could drink over it, or I could feel the stress of that, feel how, you know, this isn't fair. Maybe I should have a conversation. Maybe I should ask for more support or more pay. Maybe I should be looking for a different job. I'm not really happy here. And, like, we could come to all these different conclusions instead of just numbing the feeling. So I think that emotional resilience, the ability to intelligently feel your emotions, feel what they're trying to tell you, and then make shifts in your life due to that can really, really happen as a result of taking a break from alcohol. And that's where that self-discovery comes from. It's like you're not numbing those innate signals that you're getting anymore. You're truly, truly listening to them. You know, even things like sadness or hard things, you know, like grief... I mean, I've worked with so many clients who have had horrible, horrible grief in their life. And when alcohol is involved, you're just numbing and shoving it down, down. It's never getting healed or processed. It's getting trapped in the body, causing illness, causing more problems. And when you really allow yourself to feel You know, it's so hard, but it's like, you can finally let that stuff go, Mm -hmm. you know? So I really do believe emotional intelligence really goes up. And you know, think about it from a parent perspective too, like what they can role model to their children when they're not saying to them, it's so hard to deal with you, I need a drink to be able to cope, right? Like they are present and that's another really beautiful gift, especially parents will tell me when they take alcohol out of the picture, they can just be present. And since their emotions are more stable now, like, that just feels good. It just feels good to be in the moment instead of always trying to chase the next moment or go to that instant gratification. Mm. So from the presence, the emotional intelligence, really knowing what you want. I mean, how much in our society are we even asking ourselves that, you know? And to have the audacity to ask and then listen, you know, that's where all those changes come from.
0: Amen. Physical, mental, spiritual, emotional. I mean... The, you mean to tell me this? If the pharmaceutical company got a hold of this, this would be a billion-dollar drug, wouldn't it?
1: Wouldn't it? <laughs>
0: <laughs> but but all we gotta do is just put the cup down, which is crazy. Yeah. The, the, I mean, if if I was drinking alcohol still today, I'd be sold after this conversation, <laughs> because it, it is. It, I don't even drink alcohol, when it talks to my soul, right? Like it, it's it's so true. Not only from my experience, it, you just know this, right? Even. It's interesting when I would bring this stuff up, like you said, to people, it sometimes would be triggering because they know already. It's sort of like your body's always communicating with you. Even if you have the volume all the way down, it's still on volume one. And whether or not you listen to the whispers of your body, of your soul, you will inevitably still know that there's something playing in the background. So oftentimes when someone is exemplifying the opposite, the healing of that, the listening to the body, it's very triggering for some people. So imagine how inspiring you can be, and I love that you were saying just lead with, I've actually feel really great, <laughs> and I don't drink, I don't wanna drink anymore. Imagine who's a person who's gonna go, I don't want you to feel great, drink more alcohol, right? I wanna feel like you feel, but feel like me instead, right? <laughs> and and it, it's, it's the, the verbiage behind it is really important, which you cleared up so much of. Um, What about, all right, so let's say we decided, we stand tall in our decision, I ain't drinking anymore, I feel great mentally, spiritually, emotionally, physically, I'm at the top of my game. But you want to go out and there's a baby shower or there's a friend's birthday at a bar or something. What what are we ordering now? Because sometimes my hands, I'm like, okay, I don't want to drink a bottle of water. I I don't want to, what do I do with my hands? How do we entertain ourselves socially in a world that is so pro alcohol.
1: absolutely. I think we need to recognize that as a culture, we've created so many rituals around alcohol. And rituals, in and themselves, are beautiful things. Rituals like cement our society and our culture, and they give us pause for reflection. So the rituals isn't need to be villainized, right? It's just the ethanol itself in the beverage that isn't so good for us. So, for example, coming together and sharing a drink and having communion, like that's great, right? Or even coming home. You know, we have such an overproductivity in our society today. We go, go, go. And so even that 5 o'clock or 6 p.m. drink, it's like the ritual itself is not bad. It's telling yourself, hey, it's okay to slow down. You don't have to answer any more emails. Sit down and have a drink. Mm -hmm. That in itself can be really beautiful, right? So I really do believe in now replacing. Replacing means just switching out the ethanol, keeping the same uh, ritual, keeping the same elegance of it, still making it feel like a treat for yourself. And these days, alcohol-free drinks have you completely covered. There's alcohol-free wines, alcohol-free beers, alcohol-free spirits, alcohol-free nootropics and adaptogen drinks, health elixirs, tonics. I mean, you can just go to the, your nearest like health food store. There's thousands of drinks that don't contain alcohol, even if it's just a nice coconut water, right? It doesn't have to be necessarily anything uh, trying to mimic alcohol or anything like that. There's so much available. This industry is growing so much year after year after year. And I think it's just showing us that we don't need alcohol to be able to socialize and relax and bond. And I'm, I'm for it. Like I really do see alcohol going the way of cigarettes you know, where it's so ingrained first in the culture and everyone thinks it's even good for you. And then, you know, slowly we, we really understand the health effects and stuff like that. And, you know, these days, obviously, people still smoke cigarettes, but it's not mainstream. It's kind of on the fringe right? And it's definitely not expected. And you'll definitely be applauded if you were to quit, you know, smoking cigarettes. And I really see alcohol going the same way. And I think the more options we have as a society, the easier it will be. Imagine in 10 years, I go to a bar, half the people are drinking alcohol, that's fine. But the other half are drinking non-alcoholic drinks. And that's fine too, right? Because for me, if I would have gone to a party seven years ago before I stopped drinking, and I would have seen someone not drinking and having a good time, my brain would have been like, wait a minute. You're allowed to do that because Mm -hmm. I didn't even believe it was possible. All
0: right, let's face it. With all the toxins we're exposed to nowadays with processed foods, pollutants, and even stress, our poor livers have been working overtime. If you've been feeling sluggish, bloated, or just overall rundown, it may be time to give your hardworking liver some extra love and support. That is where Organifi's Liver Detox comes in. This convenient little capsule contains a powerhouse blend of clinically studied superfoods. This convenient little capsule contains a powerhouse blend of clinically studied superfood ingredients specifically designed. If you want to experience the energy boosting, liver supporting effects of this fantastic formula, head to OrganifiShop.com and use the code DRG for 20% off. That is O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I shop.com slash DRG. And so
1: I think the alcohol-free drink movement really goes to show that you can have, like, a treat at the end of the day. You can, uh, you know, bond with people with something in your glass, cheers, whatever all that stuff is. It just doesn't have to contain ethanol in it. And that can often, honestly, really give you the same feelings that you were hoping out of a drink. Because they've even done these studies. You know, I think biologically alcohol does not relax us. We've seen that. It just heightens our level of cortisol. But we think it does. And they had this one study where they put brain nodes on people who just got off work. So they're able to measure their brain waves and everyone has pretty chaotic brain waves. They're all pretty stressed out, right? They go to a bar or restaurant. Everybody orders a drink. All of a sudden, the brain waves relax. Now, here's the kicker, though. Nobody actually drank the drink yet. They just put their order in. The brain relaxed in the anticipation of the reward. Right. Mm -hmm. So is it really alcohol that was relaxing us or is it the ritual? Is it the anticipation that, hey, I get to slow down now and alcohol free beverages can give us that and more.
0: I love that. (laughs) So it's not even the necessarily I need to get drunk or even buzzed. It is literally just I am out of this chaotic lifestyle and I can just take off finally. Yeah which even brings into the conversation practices that we can do as rituals through our day, right? Like waking up in the morning, grounding, looking at the sun, breathing, meditating, right? Feel your body, connect to your body, dance, whatever you need to do to break up the chaotic, I'm waking up, looking at my phone, I'm a Tasmanian devil until I get out of the house and then I'm late to work and it's a mess and that's my week, right? And it's fine, of course, like when you have weeks like that, All I want to do is just stop. And if you tell me Friday, 5 o'clock, I'm stopping, and all my friends are going to get alcohol, I'm going to go. But now, knowing that it's just the anticipation we're finally stopping, we could do it during the week. It's just about the beauty of those rituals. And I always say, like, if, if it's about drinking with your friends, why don't you all sit down and drink tea? right? <laughs> if, if, if it's If that's really, you're like, oh, I just it's socializing and I want to we all connect and bond. You don't need the alcohol to bond, right and have real conversations from your heart with tea. Oh, yeah. And so. you can
1: connect so much better. and like, you know, I feel when we're talking about fulfillment, I feel f- buzzed every day. I especially feel buzzed when I go out with my friends and we're all drinking mocktails and we can have deep conversations. Like, we become alive with each other. And if anyone's ever thinking, like, oh, but, hey, the tea doesn't give me the buzz. I don't want to just sit around with my friends with the buzz. Like, we trade 20 minutes of this artificial spike of dopamine in our brain that then crashes very quickly and leaves us feeling so much lower and wired than we were before. And it also diminishes our ability to naturally feel dopamine and other happiness neurotransmitters, right? Uh, It diminishes the joy of just playing with a child or walking in the woods or having a belly laugh. Like, people who drink alcohol have less sensitivity to feeling those things. Their actual dopamine retractors retract back into their brains. Their receptors go back Mm. into their brains because there's such a flood of that artificial spike of dopamine going on all the time. So for anyone who's a little, like, skeptic of this tea really being such a magical experience... Like when you take out alcohol and your brain rebalances, you're able to actually feel the joy and the pleasures of those kind of moments, and they become so much more alluring to you than that media gratification. You know, yeah, it's yeah. like this is what long-term contentment looks like. Mm-hmm.
0: Beautiful. I love. I love thinking about tea time with the friends. <laughs> Maybe I'll start a little movement out here in Los Angeles. Tea time <laughs> with friends. Uh, I love that. I love that. It, um, is there any other advice or tips or quote-unquote hacks that we missed out on that would be really important to bring up?
1: Absolutely. So wherever you are, I think really seeing it as an experimentation is really key. You know, if you tell your brain you can't do this forever for the rest of your life, there's going to be something in you that wants to rebel against that. So like, I would really take it as an experiment to just try it. Um, look, you've drinking thousands of times in your life, thousands of times. Mm. No one's taking it away from you. In fact, you've done it so many times. You know exactly what it feels like. You know exactly what that wine tasting is going to feel like the next day on your body. You know exactly what drinks with your friends feels like. You've done it so many times. What if what you're really missing out on is the alcohol-free experience? Mm. What if that's the gift that you really truly haven't experienced? And if you have that kind of curiosity around it, I think that's amazing. And even if you're not ready to yet take a break from alcohol, but this episode was interesting for you, just lean in. Lean in and like get a little bit more interested in this topic. Read a book, listen to another podcast, like just explore your own emotions and ideas around this, even if it was triggering for you. Just lean in a little bit to that. I think that curiosity will also lead you down the right path. And you know, even for me, like I never said I was going to stop drinking forever up until a point, And I really got to this crossroads where like my break you know, the three months or so had gone by and I was like, well, how much longer am I going to do this? Like, you know, what is going on? And I just looked back and I said, I've never felt so much joy, gratitude, appreciation, wonder, sense of possibility. And I've had a drink like thousands of times, been there, done that. Like, I want to see what this new road is going to lead to. Mm. And it has not disappointed. It is the catalyst to every dream I've wanted in my life. Never thought I could write a book. Never thought I could be an entrepreneur. Never thought I could be the type of person who goes <laughs> on to a live podcast with incredible hosts. Mm. Like, it's it's just a pinch-me type of dream of what is catalyzed by ditching alcohol.
0: I love that. And you are in your purpose. You are in your movement. That's, that's the way it's got to be in life. And serving a bigger picture of people. You said go read a book. I'm saying go read the book, <laughs> Euphoric, what's in the book? Tell me, tell, we wanna, I want to know so the, so the audience can go, okay, maybe I want to get this book right now.
1: Absolutely, so Euphoric is for casual drinkers who want to reevaluate the role of alcohol in their life. It really sets up how amazing It is to take a break from alcohol, and so it sets it up from the body, mind, and soul perspective. So as the reader's reading it, they're really getting into this, like, oh, wow, this sounds really good. I cannot wait to try it. You know, Anything from the weight loss you might experience or just the surge of positive emotions, the redevelopment of positive beliefs as well, like self-love, integrity. I mean, let's talk about integrity for a second. I was a 30-something woman who didn't brush my teeth at night if I drink. Like, who wants to be that person? You know what I mean? Just showing up for myself every single day and doing the things I want to do, calling my parents back, right? Like, really being the version of myself I want to be in the world. Without alcohol, it's been really... a a true testament to who I am and not the way alcohol was kind of limiting me. So the body, mind, and soul approach. And then once the reader gets to towards the end, they get so hyped up and want to try this break from alcohol. I give them an eight week plan that I've led thousands of people through. It is a very introspective plan. So we're going to take every belief you formed around alcohol and deconstruct it and debunk it for you so that ultimately deep down in your subconscious, the desire actually goes away. So it's not that I can't drink alcohol, it's I don't want to. Mm. You know, I used to smoke cigarettes in college. You couldn't pay me to smoke a cigarette today, right? Like there's absolutely no desire for cigarettes. And I wanna try to do the same thing for other people in that. And towards the end of that week guide, we're also gonna be asking questions of what does make us happy. You know, I have a whole week where I just say, go have new experiences, go do your bucket list items, go do the botanical gardens, go paddleboard yoga, Go to this class. Go to a writing workshop. Like, just go explore the world. You've been drinking on a Friday night for so long. That's your sense of fun. Go try these other things. And I think from that sense of exploration, we also just get hungry and discover and listen to what that deeper purpose is. Mm -hmm. So that book will guide you there as well.
0: Amen. Uh, Listen, uh, that book sounds amazing. (laughs) And and you know damn well this copy over here that you signed autographed for me. I feel very special. I'm going to read right through it. And I I love the mission, you know. Part of my mission is this alcohol mission. And we are in the perfect world right now for this to happen. You mentioned it. There's non-alcoholic liquor stores open up left and right. You can now get mocktails at so many of these bars. I, 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 like, once every month, I'm looking up at what's the new bar out here in Los Angeles that offers mocktails. The the space is here. It's happening fast. I can't even imagine what it's going to be in 15 years. so thank you for your work. Absolutely. Thank you so much. You're changing the world, and I really see that, and I appreciate it.
1: Thank you, it was such a pleasure to be here.